0: Manx Radio Podcasts, powered by Shore.
1: Hello and welcome to our weekly Women Today podcast. On the programme this week, we've learned about the benefits of having a diverse nation, revisited the sensitive topic of abortion following a visit by Mara Clark from the Abortion Support Network, and caught up with Yorkshire Rower Helen Butters, one of the guests for the Isle of Man Inspiring Women Week organised by Annette Baker. But first, we had some very special co-presenters on Wednesday –
2: You should really start the podcast off for us. Take it away, Thomas.
3: You're listening to Women Today on Manx Radio,
2: and our studio guests this afternoon are from Year Six at Saint John's Primary School. We've got Rachel Ailish, Thomas, and James, and also the head teacher Tracy Willoughby. Hello. How are you all feeling? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Brilliant. Um, Now you were all set some homework to coincide with Inspiring Women Week, which is happening all this week in the Isle of Man, and you had to tell us about the women that you look up to, and then you got the chance to come on to Women Today and see what happens around here at Manx Radio. Now, first of all, Rachel, how easy was it to do that homework?
3: Well, not. it was kind of easy, but the, it was a hard task because, but because like, uh, you don't know, lots of people can inspire you and it's hard to pick one person, one, one or two people, just to pick them.
2: And who were the people you chose?
3: I chose Helena Rubinstein and Anne Frank. Why was that? Because they inspire me because they, are like Anne Frank, of what she went through and how Helena Rubinstein, uh, how she created um, cosmetics.
2: Okay, Ailish, who did you choose?
3: Um, I chose my Nana and Ellie Simmons.
2: And why was that?
3: Uh, I chose my Nana because um, I love baking and me and her, we do a lot of baking together. And we cook lots of different things and we even design our own recipes and I picked Ellie Simmons because um, she has pushed on to become somebody and she inspires me because she. I want to follow on into her footsteps.
2: And it's interesting because your Nana doesn't live over here, does she? No. She lives quite far away. Okay, Thomas, who did you choose?
3: I chose Princess Diana and Jessica Lennis.
2: And why did you choose them?
3: Because um, Princess Diana, she she helped people in poor countries um, she paid chari- She paid money to charities to help bring awareness to them.
2: And uh, finally, James, thank you very much for introducing the programme so well, first of all. <laughs> and uh, who were the women that you chose?
3: I chose Ellen MacArthur, Malala Youshazi, um,
2: Laura Trott and Rosa Parks. And what was it about them that really made you think that they were the women that inspire you? Well...
3: Laura Trott, she has come on to doing incredible things in, cyc- in cycling and has won a lot of medals, even though she did have asthma as a kid. He, and people like Rosa Parks and Malala Yousafzai um, fight for education and women's rights, he, which is very important because men are and women are equal.
2: Oh guys, just absolutely brilliant, we were also joined in the studio by Tracy Willoughby who is the head teacher at St John's Primary School and Tracy, I got the chance to look through all the Year 6 work and I was honestly so, so impressed with them. Why was this something that you wanted to do with the pupils?
4: Well, um, a little while ago we had a visit from um, to one of our senior managers meetings and um, Annette Baker from Ramsey Grammar School talked to us about Inspiring Women Week and it's something she's been involved in in the past and she just wanted to spread that message really and, and invite other schools to take part and I know a lot of schools are doing things this week but um, when I talked to the St John staff about it they were extremely keen and through lots of contacts of their own and um, through people that they know they decided that they wanted to spend a whole week on this inspiring women and we have had visitors in every single day this week a wide range of different women talking to children from our very youngest four-year-olds in the reception class right up to our year sixes. And uh, so who have you had
2: in guys who stood out to you this week Rachel?
3: Um. I like, we had quite a few visitors, but one of my favourites was um, the lady, we had Lady Corelli from um, Isle of Man College. And I liked her because she's been, she went to Hong Kong on one of, she got um, offered a job in Hong Kong. And she did like, she went to the airports, she built, she helped like look after the airports. And she made us um, draw um like different um like builders, plumbers and she'd made us think what would they be a
2: boy a man or a woman? That's so. really interesting. We're gonna be talking a little bit more about that a little bit later. But um Christy, I don't know about you. I was sort of jokingly saying before um we came on air that I was a bit worried about our job. Seriously.
1: They are amazing. I can't believe how confident you all are. It's it's you know, I think if I was your age and I'd first come into a, a radio studio, I'd be terrified, but you're brilliant. Are you, you enjoying yourself so far? Yes!
5: <laughs> I'm Michelle Jamieson, and today on Younger Women Today, we're at the Food Assembly. Now, this is recently opened um, last week on Wednesday at the Noah Bakehouse, and it's to get together to buy the best food available directly from local farmers and food makers. You order online, and then pick it up from the Noah Bakehouse every other week. Well, how good does that sound? And I really think it's so encouraging for young people to easily buy local, fresh food. I spoke to Chris Waller, host of the Isle of Man Food Assembly.
6: Food Assembly is um, it's an online shop that brings together lots of different producers from lots of different um, segments of the market. So today we've got people from dairy, fruit and veg, soft drinks, meats, um, hopefully in the future we're going to add even more producers to that as well Um, but this this online shop basically gives one basket to people, they go online, they order and then once every fortnight they come visit us here at one of our collections and meet the producers, find out what's coming up, find out what's seasonal and collect their order.
5: What was the main aim of bringing this to the Isle of Man?
6: I think the main aim of bringing this to the Isle of Man is to try and engage a different audience that wouldn't otherwise be at farmers' markets, or an audience that wouldn't necessarily seek out a farmers' market. So specifically, perhaps a, for for some people, a more sort of a web-based generation, so a like younger generation that might be online all the time. This is giving them access to great local produce, direct from the producer that they might not have otherwise sought out or even otherwise had access to.
5: As well as encouraging people to buy local, come here, get their ingredients for the for the fortnight really, is then the idea that they'll they'll cook with these and you might encourage people to cook different recipes with the, the stuff they buy?
6: Absolutely. Um, one of the sort of the greatest parts of food assembly is the um, the element of collaboration that it can bring between producers. For example, here tonight, a really good example would be that um, Betty's pies use Bryrad's veg. They use some, uh, there's other producers that use, say, the eggs of one in the sort of the pastries of another. For us, for example, at the bakehouse here, we use Laxy Mills flour in our bread. Our scrambled eggs for our toasts come from close lease. Um, A lot of our veg comes from braai we stock all the juices from a lot of our other suppliers, so what we're hoping to see is not only that collaboration between the producers but within the the offer online we're going to be saying to people, okay here's a suggestion for a recipe, why don't you buy your eggs from this person, your meat from this person, your spices from this person, so you come to one assembly, collect one load of shopping but be able to cook a meal from a range of different people across the islands, which is really fantastic.
5: Being an online concept, as you mentioned earlier, there's sort of an online generation. Do you think the Food Assembly could really encourage young people to shop local where they might not have already done?
6: Definitely. I think um, there's definitely through its simplicity and ease of use, that side of it makes it very simple for anyone to click on, become a member, start purchasing. That will definitely encourage people. The real hope is that through... um, through sort of the, the assemblies that run every week, through what we do here at the Bakehouse and, and how we, sort of, we piece our food together using as many local producers as possible. Hopefully this is going to just get young people more excited about food in general, which, if that's local food, all the better.
5: There really was such a buzz around the place when I went to do some interviews last week and I had a little word with some producers and customers to see how they felt about it.
4: I'm Tracy Ridgway and I run Close Lease Farm and we do eggs and rare breed pork. Amazing, and so this is the first
5: food assembly that you're here for today, tell me what you're bringing to the table.
4: So I'm here with my eggs um, and talking about my pork as well and um, meeting fantastic customers, some old customers that have bought before and some completely new. The public have placed their orders already prior to this evening and then they've just come to collect off you today? Yeah, they come to collect and they order through the internet but there's also products available as well for sale on the night. And what's the buzz like here tonight? It's been fantastic with great feedback um, and it can just grow. People really want local products that are good quality. Vicky from Betty Pies and I make pies. That, that's it, really. <laughs> that's a great title. I make pies. I'd like to have that title. <laughs> we have steak and ale pie through to mac and cheese pie, and we try and use all the local producers. So we use Bryrad's veg, we have used the goat meat that's here tonight, and lamb, and all, yeah. So we try and use as much local produce as we can, make it into pies, and then mostly sell them at private events and parties. Okay. So it's been great being a part of the food assembly. And I presume it's quite beneficial
5: for, you, for your um, business because presumably you're, you're baking
4: to sell for the amount that you've been given yeah. orders for. Yeah, which is great because you know exactly what you're doing. So I knew that I had to make 120 pies for today. So yeah, it was good to have that number. And you'll be back again? Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. Well, anything Noah House does is great, <laughs> and they're so good for our community, and they just embrace everybody, which is a great thing. So, yeah, I think all of us are very happy to be here. I'm Jenny Devereaux, and with my husband Stephen, we run Starvey Farm.
5: Now, Jenny, in front of me, I'm seeing lots of coloured chard. Is that right? It is, yeah, rainbow chard. And yeah. are we selling this this evening? We are indeed, along with herbs and... Um, various sort of uh, jams and marmalades and chutneys and things. And this is everything that has already been pre-ordered, or are people coming in and out tonight? No, it's all been pre-ordered, which is fantastic actually, because we can prepare all the orders and have them ready for people, and we're not worrying about will we sell things, it's just all all organised. Can I ask your name? Ed. Ed, what have you experienced tonight?
6: I've had some of Miles' homemade pizza Mm -hmm. and some of the Hooded Ram beer. Mm
5: -hmm. Amazing. And have you had? you pre-ordered some food?
6: We have. We haven't. We haven't picked it up yet. It's it's all around. We've got some of Bryrad's Rad's fresh veg, some Ballinorman eggs. Yes. I think anything else?
5: Stavy Farm salad leaves, I believe. What's exciting about this evening?
6: Well, you've got all of the best producers on the island coming together, all in one place, and you can order it online. It's all here for you when you when you turn up, and you can then order some pizza and have some beer whilst you're waiting to pick up your food. It's just the best thing in the world. It's like the best supermarket on the island.
0: Younger Women Today, brought to you by Citywing.com. It's actually my job to set and drive the strategic direction of our work in diversity across our 110 countries and territories in which we have offices. So what do you
1: say diversity would mean in 2016?
0: I think in twenty sixteen, which is now, diversity means different things in the different jurisdictions that we that we work in. That that's just kind of one one thing because different countries are at at different stages. But I I think diversity means valuing difference, not seeing difference in a deficit terms, but seeing the richness Of difference and the value of difference and then trying to leverage that difference so that it works and it works for everybody not center staging and valuing some aspects of a person and not other aspects and of course gender is one of them so not valuing men over women just because they are men and and on and on and on but I think crucially Diversity means striving to be fair, actually. I think the word fair is a very simple word, but it's at the heart of diversity.
1: Now, you obviously in your role will have to communicate and understand and sympathise with, in certain roles, people from all walks
0: of life. How do you do that? um, I'm somebody who believes in empathy. So empathy is about understanding the person's world as they experience it without losing sight of of your world. So I think you do have to look at things from the the vantage point of the other person and not layer on it all your own prejudgments and um, all your own preconceptions. So I think you do very well if you're empathetic and if you're respectful of people. And if you try and understand things, as I said, from their perspective, it's not actually that hard if you make an effort. I think we are more alike than we're different. Um, But the difference does make a difference. You know, I mean, they, they sort of say that in the field of diversity. Would you say that you yourself,
1: in doing this role, have learned some
0: sort of key life lessons from the different people that you've met? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in my global role, there's just some fundamentals. And I've made the mistake of sending out something that says, first come, first serve. And then I get East Asia writing back to me, you sent it out during your waking time. Actually, we were asleep then. So you're advantaging the people who are in the same time zone as you. So, I mean, I've, you know, kind of learned that bit. But I've also learned and been exposed to some challenges. For example, our colleagues, um, female colleagues in Libya, not being able to travel without a male Relative. So there's lots of learning around um, the, 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 the kind of basics of the time zone and the you know, various jurisdictions and what is possible and not possible. But then also some, some much deeper and more complex things like the example of, of um, being an unaccompanied woman. Mm-hmm.
1: That's interesting. On the Isle of Man recently, in fact, we've had some guests on our show who are sort of very staunch Manx people and yeah. uh, they are of the elder generation and they're very keen on trying to preserve yeah. what it, the traditions of their Manxness and yeah. the nation itself. And I wonder from your experience how you would convey to them the benefits of actually embracing diversity.
0: Well, I think, you know, I, I mean, I think identity is important, and um, I, think in, I think engaging with your identity and understanding and holding on to aspects of your identity is important, but I think diversity is inevitable. And so I think you can actually do the two. I think you can hold on to and preserve some of the richness of your heritage and your culture. But because diversity is inevitable, I think if you're completely wedded to that, what happens is actually you're not exposed to the richness that diversity can bring. So what I would say, don't throw the baby out with the bath water. Um, You know, you're you're part of this rich kind of global village that we're increasingly living in. And I think if you want to have a, a place in there and share your culture and benefit from the diversity of the world we're in, get a balance.
1: Now you yourself as actually have won some very uh, significant awards in your time. Uh, was it Career Woman of the Year or something? So what, what advice would you give to young women who are wanting to get into business?
0: Yeah, well, I think it depends what motivates you. I, I would say focus on intrinsic motivation rather than extrinsic motivation. Understand yourself. Um, be a maximist. I am quite disapproving of minimalists. I, I don't think you can shortcut hard work and experience and I think it's good to have a focus, I think it's good to have goals but I think you shouldn't be wedded to goals, Um, you should be responsive to opportunities that come your way. I think the biggest thing I would say is um, invest in self-development, learn to receive Feedback, even negative feedback, and accept criticism. Don't be too hard on yourself. Often if you're not hard on yourself, you're not hard on others either, and you can be more compassionate. And I could go on and on and on.
2: It's 25 to 3. We're talking about abortion this afternoon, ahead of a public meeting organised by the Isle of Man, Free Thinkers, and the Positive Action Group. Our studio guest is the director of a UK charity. It's called the Abortion Support Network, Mara Clark. Um, and Mara is going to be giving a presentation at tonight's meeting the meeting is titled abortion funding a matter of equal rights and justice namara we heard from you at the start of the show that the charity has supported 13 women from the isle of man with funding for their abortion do we have any idea how many women though from the island go to the uk for abortions
7: we we know that the uk department of health has reported that 90 women have given isle of man addresses and um, the last number the the last year those numbers are available for was uh 2014 the 2015 numbers will come out probably in may or june um But uh, it's the same thing with the numbers of women traveling over from Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland. Uh, Those numbers have been going down for the last few years. Um, Part of that, again, is because of the availability of safe but illegal early medical abortion pills online. Um, But also, not everybody gives their home address. So if you have a friend or a family member who lives in England, uh, you might put down that address or even the address of the bed and breakfast you're staying at or or the hotel. Um, so, you know, we, we have no idea of knowing actually how many how many there are. And when it comes to
2: the ages of the women that uh, you're looking out for, I wonder if there's a uh, somewhat of a preconception that this is all very young girls who find themselves in this situation.
7: Feckless, promiscuous teenagers, yes. Um, whenever somebody joins our helpline, um, those are the people who actually answer the calls and the texts and the emails, the two things that come back, after their first shift are, um, you know how you always say there's no typical client? I never believed you until I took the phone. Um, You know, our clients have ranged in age from 13 to 51. There have been married women, unmarried women, uh, you know, one-night stands, long-term boyfriends, Uh, couples with wanted pregnancies with fatal fetal anomalies. Um, You know, again, if they're coming to us, they're not the typical person who needs an abortion because those people have a credit card and a passport, maybe a bank account, a job. You know, we hear from the people who, by definition, of needing to call strangers in another country and ask for money, are marginalized uh, generally by poverty, but often with a number of other factors. So inner escaping abusive relationships, pregnant as a result of rape, migrants, refugees, travelers, drug and alcohol addiction problems, uh, having several, several children leaving in, living in rural areas. But um, now that I've depressed you all, the other thing that our Helpline volunteers say at the end of their first shift is what surprises them is the laughter. The fact that we talk to these women and they come to us in their time of need. Maybe they've tried to tell friends and been shot down or feel they can't tell their friends or they have told their friends and family and together they've come up with a hundred whole euro or pound uh, and then they contact us and the relief is so great that they can call us and we're not judging them, you know, and we're not saying, well, why do you need this and you have to prove yourself to us and, you know... Pregnancy and birth and pregnancy and not birth and all of these things. It's just part of Human condition. It's just part of life and um, we were discussing in the break the fact that statistically one in three women in the UK will have a termination in her lifetime So that means next time you're out to dinner with five friends look around the table Um And I don't see how those numbers are going to be any different on the Isle of Man because it's been proven, there have been so many studies that have shown that restrictive abortion laws don't actually reduce the number of abortions. Um, A lot of the people who contact us say, I was completely pro-life until. I was completely against abortion until. Until my husband died. Until uh, we both lost our jobs. Until our four-year-old was diagnosed with leukemia, and now is not the right time for us to be focusing on a baby. Until my sister got raped. Until my fourteen-year-old got pregnant. I was completely against abortion until I needed an abortion. And also, we hear from women who believe that they are killing a baby and that they are going to burn in hell, and they're still choosing to have an abortion and putting themselves in a lot of financial hardship to do so. Um, you know, but. Again, for me, it always comes back to what's the alternative? So first of all, is that woman going to then do something very safe and possibly life-threatening to self-terminate? But also this whole idea that motherhood should be a punishment. Um, I don't think that parenting, you know, my I, I have a kid and, you know, her, her view on this is that being a mommy or a daddy is a very big job. And only people who want to be mommies and daddies should be mommies and daddies. Does she know what you do? Absolutely. She knows how to read um <laughs> but it was a very unique uh, evolution first she knew that um mom ran a charity then she knew that mom ran a charity that helped women and then she said mom are all the women that you help poor and I was like, yeah, rock on. Um, and then finally she said, well, what do you help women do? And I said, well, what do you think? Which is a very good parenting strategy. You know, <laughs> What do you think? Let's see where you are at this. And she said, well, maybe you help them get jobs or maybe you help them have a place to live or maybe you help them have babies. And then I said, actually, we help women not have babies. And we had to talk about that. And that was her. That was her. That's where she came to it from was that only people who want babies should have babies. How do you approach, I'm
1: interested how you approach it when um, people who have quite strong religious beliefs talk to you, is there a way of actually reasoning with them?
7: Well, I have religious beliefs. There's this, uh, there's this misnomer that being religious and being pro-choice are mutually exclusive, but there's actually a very large organization called Catholics for a Free Choice. And in the States, 99% of Catholic women have used birth control. So you know, they're obviously willing to go off the menu on some things. Um, But again, I really try and meet people where they're at. So if you're one of those people who think that you would rather I die than have an abortion, then no, I have nothing to say to them because nothing I say is going to make any difference. It's like, okay, see you later. Um, But for everybody else, everybody who's either fully pro-choice or what I like to call pro-choice, but, you know, I'm pro-choice except when a woman's using it as birth control, which I'd like to meet one of those women, please. Um, And even if she is, what's the alternative? If you're saying she's too irresponsible to use birth control, but let's give her a baby, because those don't take any work at all. Um, So for me, it's sort of like, where are you at? And let's see if I can wiggle you further down the road by giving you actual human lived experiences. Um, and, And let's just take it from there.
2: How do you feel, Mara, about places like the Isle of Man, then, where the law is restrictive?
7: I think they're delusional, no offense, um, you know, this idea that we're going to restrict abortion and then everybody's going to have all the babies and all the babies are going to be wanted and cared for. Um, you know, and for me, again, it's women with money have options and women without money don't. And that's that's how I came to this work, was reading an article. And I was like, oh, there for the grace of God and a credit card go I. Were I to have an unwanted pregnancy, I was living in the States at the time. I could I had a credit card, I had a job, I could borrow money if, if I if I was in that situation, but my God, what if I didn't? What would I do? And and that's really what it what it comes down to for me is that these restrictions will only ever be punitive to the people in society who are already marginalized in other ways. So let's not add to their burden. Well we keep talking about this public meeting it's
2: happening uh, this evening at the Manx Legion Club on Market Hill in Douglas it starts at 7:30 it's free it's open to all you're giving a presentation what do you want to achieve with that
7: um i mean like i say we're not a campaigning organisation so i'm 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 hoping the free thinkers and the and the and the positive action group have some have some ideas i think what they're hoping is that You know, I I sort of come and I talk about the experiences of of people who've contacted us and the work that we do and the the experiences that our clients have shared with us. And hopefully that will be the spark that kicks off a debate that hopefully brings about a liberalization of the of the law. Like hopefully if people understand what hardship occurs when abortion is restricted, um, people will decide that, you know what, actually, we'd like to we'd like to not do that to people.
2: And if anyone's listening, Mara, and they are going through this, what happens when they get in touch with the network? Just talk me through the sort of the process that they'll go through.
7: Sure. Um, so we have a helpline and um, so you can call the helpline or you can go to our website or you can send us an email and we will talk you through, you know, so we'll ask uh, how far along you are, um, if you know, because um, that impacts the price. The price doubles at 14 weeks and triples at 19 weeks. and fewer than 1.4% of all terminations in the UK are done after 20 weeks. But with our clients, it's 8% because they're delayed by trying to raise the money. So self-fulfilling prophecy there. Um, You know, so we'll find out how far along they are. We'll tell them about the pricing. We'll tell them about clinics. We'll ask if they have travel documents. Um, We'll ask who else knows about the pregnancy uh we'll ask how much money they have to put towards the cost of travel and finance uh travel and um and the procedure and then we'll talk about whether or not they're able to raise any more money and then and then that's pretty much it so okay you have this much and we will give the rest of the money to the clinic and boom you're done
2: And I'm guessing that from a psychological point of view, the idea of having people who are completely non-judgmental, who are completely supportive, must really help. Because one of the things that struck me after we first talked about this um, last December was an email we got from a woman who um, found herself in this position. She had to go away for the abortion. She just felt completely drained by the whole experience. And that sense of having to hide it was one of the things that she found most difficult.
7: Yeah, I think... um Like I said, that's, um, you know, sometimes people say, well, how do you how do you know the people who call you are telling the truth? It's like, because who would do this otherwise? And and also the crying, you know, um, the relief, the sheer relief that I've just talked to somebody and they've helped me. Um, I think. I think that is that is something that that, that we are able to do but like I, you know as I as I said in there are places that they can go for non-judgmental information but for instance currently it's uh, it's lent and there's a group 40 days for life that's camped outside of some clinics including the Mary Stopes Reproductive Choices in Dublin where they don't do abortions, they just give information. And by law, in the Republic of I- Ireland, they have to give three options counseling. So the options being parenting, adoption, and abortion. Um, and they're still stood outside the clinic, giving medical misinformation, hurling abuse, you know, graphic photographs. Um, so that's really difficult. At least with us, they can just call us on the phone and um, they don't have to run a gauntlet to get to us.
2: Um, our studio guest this afternoon is the Heritage Site Manager from Craig Nish, Helen Ashcroft. Um, Helen, I just wondered why you think it's so important to keep a place
8: like Craig Nish going. Um, well what does what makes um, Craigneish distinct to other um, open air museums is it's an original village in its original location and so i was recently at a meeting of open air museum managers in the uk at beamish and at the end of it everybody said you know we talked about where well, we're going to have another meeting there like we really want to come to cramnish it's such an important place and it's important place for the history of the isle of man as well and it's got you know real life stories of real people that lived there and And effectively, development has been stalled since we took it over as a museum, since Harry Kelly's cottage was donated it's ensured the sort of survival of everything in its original context. How interested are people nowadays in how life was like that, t- oh, yeah, that time? Well there are there's, um, I mean it's always changing like there's a lot of people come up to Craigneach to um, to sort of like take a trip back up memory lane and think about how their grannies lived and things like that and there is a lot of that still around but there, it's also interesting to find out about people's lifestyles and you know our visitor number show that people are still interested and still engaging with, those place, with that place and you know it's such a beautiful place to visit, and there's a lot of biodiversity, and obviously there's farm animals and things. There's lots of reasons to keep coming back, really. And um, you mentioned Beamish, which is um, a fairly well-known working museum, which recreates
2: how the people of the north of England lived and worked in the early 18th and 19th and uh, 1900s. How would you say then, having been there, Craig Nich compares?
8: obviously it's a lot bigger it's kind of felt like a sort of theme park at Beamish so there's a lot of investment and Craigneesh is a very different a different sort of experience but um, you can't you can't recreate that sense of integrity that you have at Craigneesh I think that's really special it feels like a special place when you go through it it's in its original place you can almost sense the the sort of spirit of the past when you're there and um, they were talking on Talking Heads
2: about some of the Manx National Heritage sites uh, a little bit earlier and there was actually a text in to say um, from somebody who said that they'd been to Craig Nish recently and they felt it was looking a little bit run down. What, what's the story with the upkeep of it? I mean, how far can you go in making sure it looks as, as good as possible?
8: Well, we work really hard to try and keep it maintained. Um, I think probably Craig Nish looks a lot better than it would have done in its original context. You know, like it was a fishing village. So, you know, you'd have gone to Craig Nish, you would have been able to smell smell the fishing nets and those kind of things. And actually, you know, we want to shy away from having that picture postcard perfect view of the vet, of Neish because it's not... That's not what it would have been like. The, you know, these were people that were fighting for their survival, and they won't have had it perfect. Um, but I think, and so um, we present it as authentically as we can, really. But what, what, whilst keeping making sure that we're keeping on top of maintenance and looking after the buildings and things like that. So, what would you say is the most important aspects of museums like this? Is it the historical accuracy or entertainment? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I'm i a bit of a history nerd. So I love a lot of I, I love that sort of educational side of it. But I think you've got to hit the middle of the market. You know, we're, we're responsible for, um, for opening up heritage of, of this nation to, um, to the public. And really, you've got to hit that right in the middle of the market where it's the most accessible. And so in that respect, you've got to entertain. How has Craig Nish then adapted to the modern audience, which is pretty much social
2: media dependent?
8: Well, we've got our audience development plan, which came in about five years ago. And it looked at, you know, the, we looked at all of our sites and said, how, are, you know, what, what markets are we missing and things like this? And the, the biggest market was the local family market. And so since then, we've been turning our attention to enter the local market with things like the intervention at Russian Abbey and um, employing people like me with the sort of skills that I have and um, and just speaking to local families uh, things like the ace cards and those sort of things and it's really working we have seen increased uh, footfall of the local visitors and and we hope to continue with that. <laughs> Now, I'm conscious as well
1: from um, being um, sort of involved in the outskirts of the film industry over here. You have had several short films made at Craig Nish over the past couple of years um, with Muck. Was it in Solace and Wicker, of course, the first Manx language film? How do you um, deal with that when film crews come, sort of plodding through? Are, are you able to sort of, <laughs> sort of try and keep everything in, in as decent a state as possible and preserve it all?
8: Yeah, well, we obviously our visitors have to come first. Our doors are open. We have a duty to keep our doors open to the public and entertain our visitors. But we have things like film crews. You'll find that visitors are really interested in that, and so mm-hmm. they, we, you know, we, we make sure it doesn't impede on the visitor experience, but um, actually enhances it, so they, they can see something entertaining happening. Whilst they're we're visiting the site, and it kind of makes it more an, a more exciting and interesting place to be as well. So you open for the season tomorrow. That's um, right. Yeah, we open our doors. The show what, starts tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> what's new for 2016 then? Uh, well, we've got our egg rolling event coming on Monday, so um, I'm gearing up. <laughs> sorry, just saying. Um, and that's obviously got the egg decorating competition as well. With a few concerns about the weather, but. Um, We've also got a programme of activities and events over the summer. We've got the, our adventure club, which is for children, is evolving and sort of we're building on it each year. We've got the nature explorers and like searching bugs and things like that. Um, and folk heroes and fairy tales as an adventure day and just various things like that over the summer holidays. And then, of course, building up to Hot Night at the end of the year. Now, you've been um, sort of
2: focusing on the, the Manx dialect. That's something we've talked about on the show um, over the past few weeks. Um, you've learnt a new expression recently?
8: Yes, I did. I learnt the name of uh, the word grinning, which is like crying or whinging, which um, I really love. I think that's a great word. I'm going to start using it straight away. But um, because I already use the Scottish variant, which is greeting. And mm-hmm. so that's part of my vocab. So now I, I have the Manx term from all the sort of interest in um in the manx language and um um, and things that i've been seeing in the social media lately i've just picked that word up which is really good is it important as, as one of the things
1: at Craignish and the heritage sites to sort of to have the people that are there and
8: uh, that are sort of reenacting the historical aspects? Is it important for them to have that sort of dialect as well? Yeah, we really encourage that with the Manx language and Manx dialect. So, um, is important for Craignish. Obviously, it was one of the last places it was spoken. That's part of Craignish's history and is very important. And we just want to. Um, emphasise that and learn these things there's a lot of activity going on in that direction and um, I'm sure that my site's going to benefit from that. Well Helen thank you so much for being with us, Uh, do stay with us till the end of the programme, we'll give people the
2: details of how uh, they can find out more about Craigneach but you also do the Mull Peninsula and the Sound as well, I mean how difficult is it because they're very distinct places aren't they?
8: Yeah they are Um, it's it's a really interesting and varied site and so yeah there's obviously the restaurant at the Sound is um, is quite a big business. It's very popular. A lot of people go and visit. We've got the contract for that coming up um, in... March all of our sites actually the catering contracts coming up so it's managing that process trying to attract new tenders and make you know demonstrate what a great what great restaurants and eateries that we have on our sites um and then um the the uh, mule peninsula and the burial ground i try and do things like guided walks so we've got a solstice walk coming up in the summer to just open it up and and engage people in those stories and those histories you know it's a at the end of the day it's a five thousand year old site it's really interesting <laughs>
3: Somewhere beyond the sea.
9: Well, we're four mums from Yorkshire, and we uh, decided to take part in the Talisker Atlantic Whiskey Challenge, which is rowing 3,000 nautical miles across the Atlantic from Lagomera in the Canaries to Antigua. Why? <laughs> <laughs> because we wanted a bit of adventure in our lives and we weren't busy enough we basically all met at a local rowing club. We're all mums, all have children at the same school and we all just got on really well together. We rowed for about 4 or 5 years on a Saturday morning on the River Ouse. So we used to do that and then we used to go to the local hotel for coffee and biscuits and put hand cream on and then we used to pick the kids up and go home. And then one of the of the group Francis read a book, probably about 10 years ago about a husband and wife who had taken part in the same challenge so she planted the seed at a rowing dinner one night and we all said oh yeah that's a good idea. Um, For me I wanted to make sure that obviously my family and especially my children were happy you know for me to do it because it's been a massive commitment over the last three years so as soon as my children were yes that's great mum then I said yes I'll do it.
1: Did they not have any reservations at all? They must have been a little bit nervous about it.
9: Well, my husband didn't want me to do it because he just thought it was too dangerous. But once he kind of got more knowledge about it, he just thought, yes, it's a great opportunity. You can't say no to it.
1: Because it's very different, isn't it, from sitting around a table, coffee and hand cream, to actually getting on a boat and rowing across the Atlantic. That must have been a huge
9: unknown for you. Were you scared? Um, Yes, I just watched loads of YouTube videos of people rowing across so I could get some idea of of the monotony. But there were some really scary moments. One of the scary moments was the hurricane. So we knew the hurricane was coming, so we just tried to row as far south as we possibly could. And then once it came, we just had to kind of tie everything down and, and there was two of us in each of the cabins and basically it was two and a half days of just sitting with the hatch door shut doing nothing, not eating and just basically waiting for the for the hurricane to go. So that was a scary moment, as was rowing at night could be amazing or it could be really scary. So we had some scary nights where the moon wasn't out, so it was pitch black. If we'd got blown off course, you're basically trying to turn the boat round manually and there's a 40-foot wave coming brooch on which could capsized the boat and at night time you know we didn't want that to happen, but mostly it was just very monotonous and mentally that's quite hard to um, you know to deal with It's more of a mental challenge as well as a physical challenge. How
1: did you keep your sanity as such and, how, and well, especially with with each other as well because that's yeah. it is a
9: very different thing to be stuck on a boat with someone for that amount yeah. of time I think eighty percent of crews kind of fall out. Our main aim of this whole thing was to get across as friends. If there was some kind of issue, then we just used to say, I'm just saying after everything. You know, you've left the hatch open again. I'm just saying. And that kind of took the aggression out of, out of that statement. And we always went with the mindset that we would look after each other. So I always knew there was three people looking after me. Do you think that sort of mindset, is that more a female
1: thing? And do you think it's possibly easier for, for, for women in a boat than for men in a boat? I
9: think so. I think so. I think women can cope better than the men and we got off that boat and people just said to us you look like you've been on a cruise <laughs> we, you know we you know we, we'd lost weight and some of the male crews came off they looked terrible and I think it's because uh, mentally we sang our way across mm-hmm. so we had our stereo and we just sang all the way and we and women talked to each other about things and sort things out we had team meetings on the boat we'd we'd talk things through we'd sing we just laughed away across so that helped us mentally So a week in, the winds were really strong and quite a lot of the crews actually phoned to say, I want to get off the boat. But the two female crews just did it. What ended up being the most precious item on the boat? Our iPods. Mm -hmm. And we also got um, letters from home. So the postman used to come, which was our skipper. So she'd got our families to write us letters. So at times where we were feeling a bit low or it was a landmark, we all used to get a letter. So we used to read our letters out. Francis's husband was voted the most romantic husband. A few friends wrote us letters, which were really funny letters. So those letters were probably one of the precious things. And and our iPod, so we could just, you know, music was, was really important.
1: I love that thing, I, one of the interviews you were talking about how
9: you'd all try and sing your way through things but then you yeah. realised actually you just didn't know the words. Yeah, a song sheet would be really useful, yeah. There was an, an occasion when there was um, a, a big um, rainstorm coming and you can see them coming and you just get hit with torrential rain but only for about ten minutes and then you get blown. It's like being in a, in a, um, in a car wash and we had one so I think we sung Sound of Music but we, we, the only song we knew was Doa Deer. We didn't know that we didn't know the words to the other ones. So we'd start it off and then we just kind of make the words up as we go as we're going along. You and should yeah, so do something. an album. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so when you put your foot on dry land again, was it a massive relief or were you kind of thinking actually we could go for further?
9: Oh no, it was definitely I'd had enough by then. We'd been out for sixty-seven days. We'd seen some amazing wildlife. We saw we you know whales dolphins, turtles and they'd come right up to the boat so it it was amazing in that respect but we were all so relieved to get to Antigua because all four of us have never thought for one moment that we wouldn't get there so but the reception we got in Antigua was just amazing amazing. And did you say anything to the boat as you left her? Well I wanted to hug and kiss the boat but I forgot because we just got off and then we got hurtled here there and everywhere i do have a lot of emotion for that boat because i do think she she really did look after us because was she the fifth lady she is the fifth lady the only man on the boat was saint christopher (laughs) perfect (laughs) so you did make
1: it you are back what has it been like since you've been back it must have been really peculiar because like you said you literally hit land and you've just been almost in a way buffeted continually buffeted it must feel in some ways like it's not actually stopped
9: yeah it's termed an adrenaline hangover i think is the term and we didn't really prepare for that i think this week is the first week we've all kind of gone back to work doing the school run and one of the things that i think we do really appreciate after being on that ocean for two months and we appreciate small things. So doing the school run I just love doing that now whereby before I was like oh now I just love doing it. Sleeping in a bed, eating with a knife and fork, sitting on a chair. We really appreciate all those things now and it's what we spoke about on the boat was the fact to enrich your life. I think you need to take things away and not add to it. So I think everybody should should row an ocean. I'll think about it.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) long sailing
1: Thanks for listening to our Best Bits of the Week. If you missed any of last week's programmes and would like to hear them in full, you can listen on demand at manxradio.com for seven days after broadcast. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MRWomenToday.
5: today. Don't sit in the slow lane. Join the fast lane right now with Shaw's all-new Superfast Plus Broadband. Enjoy more bandwidth, amazing speeds and the best value on the island from just £23.95 per month. So don't be left behind. Get a piece of the high-speed action with Superfast Plus broadband from Shore. For details, visit our stores in Douglas, Ramsey and Port Erin or click shore.com.
3: Love being sure.
5: Terms and conditions apply.